life we're so thankful that you're here. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter 10, and uh, I am really excited. And then at the same time, uh, my, let's see. Oh, sorry, I flipped it over wrong. Okay, are we, we're good to go now. Uh, so I'm told that I get attached really, really quickly. So for me, I've, I just love this sermon series. I've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. But now we're at the last message of this series. And now just like inside, it's like, I'm excited to finish it. I'm excited to really celebrate today. So as we were preparing uh, the songs and the music and this message, it was really just uh, a celebration of all that God is and who he is and what he has done for us. And that's what we find in Mark chapter 10 to close out this chapter. So at the same time, I'm like really excited. And then I'm also kind of bummed to see this series go. But I am really excited about the next series that we have coming up that I'll uh, share with you later. In two weeks, we're going to start a brand new sermon series that I think is just going to be so impactful, especially for the day and age that we live in. And coming up with the election season, I know that there's a lot of stress on a lot of people. And uh, whenever I look at the news or if I look on Twitter, then like my heart just starts beating a little faster and I get like a little bit more anxious. Uh, So, but this next series that we have through Mark 11, it's going to be so helpful to us in this season. So Mark chapter number 10, and we're in verse number 46 today as we close out our series, Experience New Life. Thank you for joining us in person and online today. We're going to have a great time in God's word. Mark 10 In verse 46, it says, And they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Today I'm really excited to share with you the miracle of new life or when someone finds new life. Let's pray together and ask God to bless our time in his word. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us and thank you for the wonderful opportunity that we have to gather together to lift up your name, to behold our God, And Lord, I ask that you'd meet with us now as we study your word. We thank you that you promised to bless your word. And Lord, we lift you up now and we ask that you would draw us closer to yourself. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd fill me with your spirit. I ask that you'd speak through me this morning. And Lord, I ask that you'd you'd just give us exactly what we need. I ask that you'd be with every person who's here in person and online, joining us online today. Lord, I ask that you give them exactly what they need. Lord, I ask that as a result of what we find in your word, that when we leave, we would be uh, just rejoicing in what, in the goodness of our God. And I ask that as a result of what we find today, that we would love you more and that we would love like you. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. In the opening verses of our text this morning, it says that Jesus is going through Jericho. 
And I don't know about you, but whenever I read that Jesus was passing through Jericho, it reminded me of a song that we used to sing growing up. It was a spiritual song called Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho. I'm just curious. Are you familiar with the song Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho? Uh, So if you've never heard of it, if you've never heard the song, it pretty much, if you heard the title, then you heard the song. It goes Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho. I'm not going to sing it for you. You've had to hear me sing enough today. But Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho, 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 Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. And that's a song that we used to sing in, in kids' church. And uh, I, I like that song, and we would always have fun, like falling down and all those kinds of things. But I realized something. I realized that that song is not exactly accurate. We sing, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, but that is a reference to Joshua chapter number six. In Joshua chapter six, Joshua, uh, the, the man who's leading the children of Israel, is leading them into the promised land. They cross the Jordan River, and whenever they go into this promised land, they find the city of Jericho. Now, this was a monumental moment for Joshua and for the people of Israel. You see, about five or 600 years earlier, God had promised to Joshua's forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God would take their family and he would make them into a nation. And then he would give that nation a promised land. Well, for the next five and 600 years, that didn't really happen. Uh, The family, Jacob's family, Israel's family, ended up becoming the nation of Israel. Israel went to Egypt where they became slaves for 400 years. For 400 years, they were praying, God, you promised to make us a nation and you promised to give us a land. Would you deliver us from slavery? And after 400 years, the children of Israel, the Israelites, were finally freed from slavery. For the next 40 years, they traveled through a wilderness uh, to the promised land that God had offered them. And then in Joshua 6, we see that they get to the city of Jericho, the first city that would be in opposition to them receiving the promises that God had offered them. It's amazing to me whenever you read Joshua 6, you see that God uh, speaks to Joshua and he says, Joshua, I want you to look at Jericho. See, I have given this land into your hands. It's interesting. They haven't fought a battle yet. They haven't raised a sword or shot an arrow, a bow and arrow. Uh, But God is saying, hey, I've promised you this land. I'm giving you this land. I have given you this land. So God tells them, God gives them a battle plan in Joshua chapter 6. Here's what the battle plan looks like. For one week, they are going to walk around the city walls of Jericho. Now, the walls of Jericho were, they were, they would have been intimidating. They would have seemed impenetrable. Uh, They were extremely high and they were extremely thick. Uh, I've been told that, that you could ride on the walls of Jericho, you could ride two chariots side by side all the way around the city walls. This was a thick and impressive wall. So God tells Joshua and the children of Israel, each day for six days, you're going to walk around the city walls of Jericho a mile and a half uh, for a mile and a half. Siri wants to join in this message too. Uh, For a mile and a half, you're going to walk around and you're not going to speak. You're not going to say anything. You're going to walk around the walls one time each day. And on the seventh day, you're going to walk around seven times. You're going to walk around seven times the walls of Jericho. You're not going to say a word. And then once you've completed your seventh pass around the walls of Jericho, you're going to scream and you're going to shout and you're going to play trumpets and I will give you the victory. So that's what they do. For six days, they walk around one time around the walls of Jericho each day. On the seventh day, they walk around seven times in silence. Then they shout and they blow trumpets. And the Bible tells us that the walls fell down flat. 
So it's not really Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, it's Joshua in the battle of Jericho because the battle belongs to the Lord. And that's what we see in Joshua chapter number six. And then in Mark chapter 10, we see Jesus taking the exact same route that the Israelites had taken nearly 1,500 years earlier. Uh, 1,500 years earlier, approximately, the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River and went through Jericho on their way to the promised land. And in Mark chapter 10, Jesus crosses the Jordan River, goes through the city of Jericho on its way to Jerusalem, where he's going to give us a promised life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where they're going to celebrate the Passover. And ultimately, Jesus is going to offer himself as the ultimate Passover lamb, as the sacrifice for sin to take away the sins of the world. And in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, at this, uh, on their way to Jerusalem, they go through Jericho and Jesus meets a blind man. There's a blind man on the side of the road. And we see that when Jesus encounters that blind man, he gives him this promised life. Today is a celebration. Today, we've been, uh, we've been walking for the last several weeks through our series, Experience New Life. We've seen how this is received. We've seen that salvation, eternal life, new life in Jesus is a gift to be received. It's not an achievement. Uh, it's not something to earn or achieve. Then we talked about the rich young ruler where we see who, re- who can receive this new life. And we saw that it's not based on our goodness and our status. It's based on Jesus's goodness and what he did for us on the cross. There's no person that is so good that, Jesus, that they don't need Jesus. And there's no person that's so bad that Jesus does not want them. Then we saw in the next week, we saw how we receive a wonderful and amazing gifts, amazing gifts of new life, and we receive a family, and we receive the gifts that Jesus offers, every good and perfect gift from God. We receive those with humility because we understand that it's only by God's grace that we receive them. Then last week, we saw James and John. James and John went to Jesus and said, Jesus, we want to be on your right and left hand. And Jesus said, hey, the transforming work that I do, it transforms us to to serve. It transforms us to a life of humility. It transforms us to a life of loving like Jesus, not being full of self and not full of uh, selfishness and jealousy and anger and pride. Jesus is changing us. And today what we see is really we see the culmination of all of these truths wrapped up in this microcosm of the gospel. In Mark 10, 46 through 52, we see Jesus heal a blind man. And this is the story of the gospel. This is the story of the word of God. So today, for those of us who know Jesus as our savior, for those of us who know this truth, for those of us who have a relationship with Christ, today we celebrate. We celebrate the goodness of our God. We celebrate the gospel. We celebrate how he's changed our lives. And while we go through this world and we all go through difficult days, we know that we don't go through them alone. And for every person here or watching online who does not know Jesus as their savior, there's a wonderful truth that today you can know Christ. You can receive this good news. You can receive this gospel. So let's walk through this this event when Jesus passes through Jericho and see how Jesus transforms and gives us new life so we can experience this new life in him. First of all, I want you to notice in our passage today the condition of the beggar the condition of the beggar. Look with me in verse number 46. It says, and they came to Jericho and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. 
So Jesus is passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, and, and he's coming, really, we saw, in, we see in verse 46, and we saw last week, that there is quite, this, quite a crowd that is going with Jesus on the way to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. This is something that everyone in Israel would go to the city of Jerusalem uh, to worship and, and to offer sacrifices and to celebrate the Passover. So it's reasonable to believe that there are hundreds, maybe even thousands of people walking with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. And it says that as they were walking, there was by the wayside, there was a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus. And I noticed a couple of things that this verse tells us about Bartimaeus that I think will help us understand even our own condition in our own hearts and lives. In verse 46, we see that he has a broken identity. He has a broken identity. Look with me. It says that as they passed through, there was a great number of people and blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. Do you notice how it addresses, how it describes Bartimaeus? It says, blind Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, a blind man. This is a part of who he is. When people pass by Bartimaeus, they didn't say, oh, hey, look, there's Bartimaeus. He's a pretty nice guy. They didn't say, oh, hey, look, there's, there's the class clown, Bartimaeus. No, his identity was his brokenness. His identity was the fact how people identified him, how people looked at him, uh, what his life was defined by was his blindness. It was his brokenness. That's what, I, that's what identified him. And we, don't we live in a world today, and I, but before we get in, even into our, 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 our world today, what our world looks like, let's just address our own hearts and lives today. Uh, I know who I am apart from Jesus. I know who I am whenever I'm not living in alignment with the truth of the gospel. I know who I was before I met Jesus. And as I see this broken identity, I say, I say and I recognize that that identity is mine. That apart from Jesus, I am a broken person. I'm a broken sinner. That's who I am without Jesus. Uh, whenever I'm not living in line with the gospel, all you see is my brokenness. All you see is my old nature that we saw. We saw that in James and John last week when they're coming to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, we're better than Peter and we're better than Matthew and we're better than everybody else. Uh, we think that you should put us in charge. You see brokenness. Uh, whenever you see Peter speak over and over and over again throughout the gospel of Mark, and we're not done yet. It's gonna be a doozy in a couple of weeks. But we, what we see shine through is brokenness. And in our world that we live in today, what you see is you see this broken identity. You see people who are, who are struggling with, with who I am, who am I, what is my purpose in life? Uh, why, why am I here? Is life even worth living? And what you see is you see a brokenness. And we see that this man is, is broken, he's blind. But I also notice he has a broken identity. Second of all, I notice that he has a desperate condition. He has a desperate condition. It says that he is a blind man and he's a beggar. Spurgeon said that, it, like that's, it's a, he didn't say double whammy, uh, but whenever I read, whenever I read Spurgeon, uh, he said, it doesn't really get worse than being poor and blind. I mean, think about it. If you're, if you're blind and wealthy, then you can pay people to, to do your shopping for you. You can pay people to run your errands. You can pay people to take care of your needs. If you are poor, if you're a beggar, but you're not blind, then there's always the hope that you could make, a, make, make your circumstances, make your situation different. But whenever you are both poor and blind, there is nothing that you can do for yourself. There is no hope. 
You are, you are like Bartimaeus was every single day on the highway side begging. And apart from Jesus, that is who we are. The Bible says that wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so that, all, so that death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We are all, we are all broken without Jesus. We see the condition of this beggar. But the second thing that I want you to notice is the faith of this beggar. The faith of this beggar. In verse number 47, it says, and when he heard, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. On me, And I want you to notice the faith of this beggar. They're all passing by and, G- and, and Bartimaeus hears that it's Jesus. Bartimaeus hears, hey, this is Jesus of Nazareth who has passed by. And he gets excited. Hey, for the first time and, and who knows how long he actually has hope. Uh, maybe he's heard the scripture about who the Messiah is and how the Messiah is coming. And he's saying, hey, here is Jesus. Here is the promised Messiah. Here is the Christ who's coming by my way. I'm gonna call out to him. Uh, He cries out to Jesus. Maybe he had heard about the miracles. Maybe he heard about the miracle of Mark chapter eight, where we saw Jesus heal the blind man. Remember where he healed him in two stages, where he healed him and he began to see in a blur. And then Jesus lifted up his eyes and he saw everything clearly. Maybe he heard, hey, Jesus has healed the blind before. Maybe he can do that for me. And we see that he has this persistent faith because whenever he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he immediately faces Uh, obstacles. He immediately faces resistance. Look with me. It says in verse number 48, it says, many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. So all these people walking with Jesus, all these people walking with Jesus, they hear this blind man crying out for Jesus. And they're like, Hey, shut up. Leave, Leave Jesus alone. Hey, hey, we've got places to go. We've got things to do. We've got a Passover to celebrate. Hey, you're slowing us down. Move on to the side, which I find really humorous because don't you remember last week we saw the mother of James and John stop in the crowd to ask for, to ask for James and John to sit at Jesus' right and left hand. She didn't have a problem. They didn't have a problem stopping the, sell, stopping the trip then, but here's Bartimaeus asking for mercy, and they say, hey, we've got places to go. We don't have time for you. And by the way, I just want to say for all of us, and I was convicted as, as, I, as I saw this in the scripture, is how many times are those of us who are followers of Jesus the very obstacles that get in the way of other people finding Jesus? How often in our lives is it? How often in my life, because I'm too, in too big of a hurry, uh, because, I don't, because I don't recognize, because I don't have compassion, because I'm so full of self, because I'm worried about my, my status, because I'm worried about what I have to do next, that I don't take time for people who desperately need Jesus. And because of my poor spirit, because of my bad attitude, I end up becoming a barrier to the very people that I, that I worship, that I love, that I serve. We see these people say, say, hold your peace. Be quiet. Let Je- leave Jesus alone. But I want you to notice his persistence. He says, but then he cried out the more. He shouted out the more. So first when we meet him, we see that he's sitting, uh, he's begging, uh, and then he's hearing Jesus, and now he's shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He has this persistent faith. 
And it just challenges, it challenges me, it challenges me to, to just to put my faith, to put my confidence, to put my standing completely and fully on Jesus because he's the only one who is worthy. We see this persistent faith, but then I notice that he has expectant faith. Expectant faith. He has expectant faith. Look with me in verse number 48. It says, many charged him, uh, but he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. In verse 49, it says, Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And it says, and he casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. I love this. He starts crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, which is amazing in and of itself. Jesus isn't called, isn't called that term very often. This man has the faith to believe, Jesus, you are, you're the greater son of David. God, our promise keeping God had promised David generations before that he would set up a kingdom that would never end. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that kingdom. Jesus is that greater king that was promised. So the blind Bartimaeus says, hey, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then I love what it says next. It says, Jesus stops everything. And did you notice? It doesn't say that Jesus called Bartimaeus. What does Jesus say? Jesus tells those who were previously, those who were previously charging him to hold his peace. Now in verse 49, he says, he commanded him to be called. And they call the blind man saying unto him, be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. So Jesus stops everything. He, he addresses the people who were previously said, hey, hey, you need to calm down. Hey, you need to be quiet. Hey, we have places to go. And Jesus is saying, hey, stop, wait a minute. Go tell him, go tell him to come here to me. Go bring him to me. There's a couple of truths. Uh, one, I'm gonna just share, share the humorous for a minute because I enjoy it. Could you just imagine being those people who are like, who are wrecking this blind man and then all of a sudden, they're the ones who have to go get him. They get in trouble with Jesus. Hey, go, go, go get him. Hey, uh, hey, you know, we're sorry. Hey, hey, cheer up. Jesus, Jesus wants you. What a wonderful truth, by the way, that Jesus wants us. Jesus wanted this blind man. Another truth, because I, get, I got convicted whenever I read how these followers of Jesus got in the way of Jesus. Jesus still let them be a part of his miracle. Jesus still let them be a part of what he is doing. Jesus wasn't finished with them just because they were acting foolishly. So he calls these disciples, he calls his followers to go get Bartimaeus and they bring Bartimaeus to Jesus. And then I want you to notice what it says. It says that Bartimaeus cast off his garments. He casts off his garments. Blind Bartimaeus, begging Bartimaeus, would be on the side of the road and that garment would be everything for him. Whenever it's raining, it's the best shot that he's got to keep him dry. Whenever it's cold, that garment is what's going to keep him warm. Whenever it's hot, that's, that garment is what's going to keep it, give him shade. That garment is everything. That's what he was hanging onto. That's what was, that was, that's what was protecting him. Yet whenever Jesus calls him, it says that he casts off that garment because he believes, he knows, he understands that Jesus can heal him. And he has enough faith to believe that Jesus will, will heal him. He has this expectant faith. So we see the condition of the beggar. We see the faith of this beggar. And then finally, I want you to notice the healing of the beggar. The healing of the beggar. In verse number, verse number 51, it says, Jesus answered unto him, 
What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. I love the wording, and the wording I want you to notice is extremely intentional. Jesus' wording in verse 51 is extremely intentional. Mark 10, 45 says that Jesus said unto them that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. The Son of Man did not come to be, ser- come to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The previous conversation that Jesus had just had with James and John and his disciples is, hey, if you want to be great, if you want to lead, if you want to, if you want to accomplish something for me, then you serve. So now Jesus is speaking to this blind Bartimaeus who has absolutely no status, who has no standing, who has nothing to offer. And Jesus says unto him, hey, how can I serve you? What, what would you like for me to do for you? What would thou that I should do for thee? So Jesus begins to serve and he gives him the healing of this beggar. I want you to notice that he offers gracious healing. Jesus offers gracious healing, generous healing. It's something that the blind man did not deserve. Yet Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, the savior of the world, Jesus who, who, who spoke the universe into being, stands in front of this blind man who has never been served in his life and says, hey, what can I do for you? My friend, that is called grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. We serve a wonderful and gracious God where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We serve a good and a gracious king. We serve a wonderful and a merciful savior and he receives generous healing. And I want you also to notice as we close is that that he he gives this man complete healing. He gives this man complete healing. I love this in verse 52. He says, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. I want you to notice in verse number 52 is that Jesus heals his body, but more importantly, Jesus heals this man's soul. Before he was a beggar in the way, and now he is walking and following Jesus. He receives total and complete healing. And my friend, that is the God that loved you. That is the God that saved you. That is the God that you sang to this morning, the one who offers complete and total healing, the God who offers complete and generous grace. That is our God. Before I moved here, I served, uh, I served for a little bit in a kids' ministry where I taught, where I taught some kids, and it was amazing. Um, I, would, I would teach a lesson I would teach the lesson, I would go through a passage, and then I would ask questions when it was all done. And I would ask those questions whenever it was all done. I would ask those questions, and it would be like, let's just say we're going through Joshua and the battle of Jericho. And I would say, who walked around the city walls of Jericho? And, they, and some kid would raise their hand, and they go, oh, 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 I know, I know, I know, Jesus. Close, good guess, but not quite. If we'd be going, talk about Daniel and the lion's den, and who got thrown into the lion's den? Oh, I know, I know, I got it, I got it, I got it. Yeah, you. Jesus. If we're talking about 
Peter walking on the water. Hey, who did Jesus call out to walk on the water? Oh, I know, I know, Jesus. And it was just like the answer for everything was Jesus. And you know, as I look back and I think back on those things, hey, you know what? I think that they had better answers than I do sometimes because in my life, the answer is always Jesus. The answer in your life is always Jesus. If you're struggling, if you're struggling with some family relationships this morning, hey, the answer for your relationships is Jesus. Uh, If you're going through a, a, a stressful and a difficult day, the answer for your life is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Before I, uh, before I moved here, I shared that. Um, before I moved here, I shared that I, I served in a children's ministry. You're good, man. You're good. Uh, I served in a children's ministry, and one of the ways that I served in the children's ministry was helping other teachers make sure they had what they need to teach their classes. And one of the ladies that I served was a lady by the name of Miss Molly, and Miss Molly was uh, she was like I mean she was just a cool uh, she was a cool old lady. Uh, she was in her 80s teaching second grade, second graders, and she had been teaching kids' Sunday school classes for like all of her adult life. In fact, one of my favorite things about that class, her class, was that her assistant was a lady who was like 60, uh, and that lady grew up, when she was a little girl, went to Miss Molly's Sunday school class. So she has, this, she has like uh, this 60-year-old assistant who she taught when she was a little girl. Miss Molly was a sweet lady. She was faithful. She loved her kids. And honestly, she was one of, I listened. I, one time I went in to listen to her teach little kids. And I was like, man, this is the class that I want to go to. So a few, a couple months ago, I had the privilege, I had the honor of being a pallbearer in her funeral. Uh, she passed away this summer. It wasn't COVID related. Um, but she passed away this summer. And I had the privilege of, of serving in her funeral. And at the funeral, it was amazing. And I would, there should have been more people, but with, with social distancing and uh, all the people that were allowed to be in there, it wasn't as much as, as what should have been to honor her life. And I remember hearing the stories about how she had served faithfully for decades, uh, hearing the story about how she loved kids, uh, seeing adults uh, comment on Facebook, uh, watching the funeral saying, hey, she was my teacher whenever I was a little kid. And just seeing that faithfulness and seeing her love and seeing uh, just the grace that she had for other people, uh, it was something to celebrate. It was something, it was an honor to be a part of that service. But you know, thinking about her life, celebrating her life, celebrating what she had done for, for kids for decades, we celebrated her, frankly, because she had died. We celebrated her because she was dead. Today, we gather together and we celebrate the life of Jesus. We celebrate what Jesus has done. We celebrate his grace. We celebrate his love. We celebrate his mercy. But church, we come and we celebrate not because Jesus is dead. We celebrate him because he's alive. 
We celebrate Jesus because he, because of his death on the cross, we have forgiveness. And because of his resurrection, we have a relationship. So my friend, whenever we think about who we were before Jesus, just remember that we serve a God who is alive. And whenever we think about what he is, how he has transformed us, when we think about how we've been forgiven, it's because Jesus came and he died, but then he, now he is alive. And it's because we serve a good and a wonderful and a merciful God. We serve a wonderful Savior. And because of all of those things we celebrate today, we've sang songs to, to celebrate and to lift up the name of Jesus. We've gone through the word of God and we worship at the name of Jesus. And, to, and whenever you go home today, I want you to think about the goodness of Jesus. And whenever you struggle this week, whenever you're at work and just having a tough day, remember that you serve a wonderful Jesus. And this week we celebrate not because he's dead, but because he's alive. Let's all stand together. And we're going to sing a song of worship. We're going to sing a song of celebration that we sang at the beginning of this message. Let's pray and thank God for his goodness to us. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your grace. And thank you that you are alive. Thank you that you fulfill your promises, that you gave the Israelites their promised land, but you give us a promised life. And Lord, I pray that if there's any person here who does not know you as Savior, I ask that they would receive you today. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen.